Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. It is good to see you all. Wow, yeah. Does it feel good to you or just to me? This is, feels like a. This feels like it could be a good service today. Yeah, I'm feeling it. Hope you are. Wow. Man, I have to warn you that uh, last night we had to land the plane halfway through the sermon. <laughs> um, I realized I had overprepared, and, uh, and, and there, was, there was way too much meal. And, uh, so, and plus we had food trucks out there, um, and everybody had come for the food trucks, and they were just looking. It, yeah, I could see it in their eyes. Mark, we really love you, but we want this to end. So we... Uh, <laughs> So I just said, you know, I think we're going to land the plane right now. <laughs> There's no runway, but I think that strip of freeway looks pretty good, and we just landed. So now you know that once I do that on Saturday nights, I'm committed for the rest of the weekend. So um, we're just going to study half of Psalm 103 today, uh, and then, you know, next week to be continued, right? I mean, you're not going anywhere, are you? I, I'm... So, and, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you why I chose Psalm 103 in just a moment. But let me give you an update. Uh, Jung is doing well. Thank you for your prayers. <laughs> Do not stop praying. I know we all want more details, uh, but for right now, they're just asked if they could, they could make this a nesting time as their family. Uh, Jung, Jung is going through physical therapy, and any time you open up the brain uh, and pull something out, you know, that it's, it's a challenge for the rest of the brain to respond and get on with things. So um, he's going through physical therapy right now, but the doctor, neurosurgeon, has assured Jung that he will once again be a rock and roll guy, you know. So please continue uh, to hold them up in your prayers, and we'll let you know when uh, it's, it's okay to be a visitor. You know, it's, it's hard when that many people love you. So, and, and then I do hope to see you on Freedom Fest. Um, you know, what I love celebrating in this country is our freedom of speech and worship, uh, most of us are not aware that uh, close to one-third of the world does not have that, even though they've signed statements for the uh, United Nations that they will allow for freedom of worship. And I'm not ashamed to call them out. China doesn't allow for freedom of, of worship. India now does not allow. It is officially a Hindu nation and restrictive of all minorities. And I'm protecting not only Christians, I'm protecting uh, uh, sheiks, I'm protecting Muslims in India, you know, that everyone should have the freedom to think what we think and believe what we believe and to talk about what we, th- we think about. Even in our country, we need to be careful about a restrictive culture that tells us how to think and what we can say, what we can't say. Uh, we need to, to defend our religious freedom. I got a... Uh, a message. I don't know what when you get something through WhatsApp, 
what do you, what do you call? I got a WhatsApp today uh, from Nigeria, a friend of mine who's an attorney there. And uh, he was sending me a video from their news clip that was translated into English. And, uh, you know, Boko, uh, Boko Haram and, and all the things that have happened there, well, it's, it's a country that's divided between uh, Islam and Christianity, one being uh, very aggressive and one not. And uh, so people are fearful of their very lives uh, in, in what used to be a very free country. So I bring that to your attention that we would just, we would pray. Pray for our brothers and sisters. Uh, the, the, the whole Islamic world is trying to figure out, is it possible to have religious freedom in an Islamic country? And, and countries like Bahrain in the Gulf have, have modeled for us that it absolutely is possible. So uh, there's no point in the 21st century of saying, well, you know, it's just not going to work in this country. No, we have to be vocal about uh, and, and pray about this very deep value. You know, you may not know your own history, but there was a point in time, this isn't even the message, I'm just getting excited about it, <laughs> Freedom Fest, uh, there was a time where religious freedom wasn't allowed in our country. You had to be Puritan. Think about it. And Roger Williams, such a great name. He should have been a rock star. I mean, that, with a name like that. R Roger Williams broke away, and he goes down to Rhode Island and establishes, and that's how Rhode Island got established, did you know? Because it now was going to be a state that you could believe what you believed. And the government would never, ever tell you what you had to believe. So it's dear to us. It's in our blood. And I told my friend from Nigeria, we pray for him. I told Jung and Misty, we pray for them. And now I'm going to pray for us that we have hearts to hear God's word today. So join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for the celebration that's coming up, 4th of July. Freedom. Father, how we cherish the ability to worship like we're doing this morning with no constraints, no checking in to headquarters, just you. And we pray, God, for our brothers and sisters in Nigeria and so many in Islamic nations and in India and so many in communist nations that they are not free to be public about their worship and what they believe. God, we pray that you would raise up leaders in our country who would be leaders of righteousness and truth and protect everyone's freedom, but that you, God, would raise up leaders in these countries as well to protect both worship and the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, we now pray for Jung. We pray that you would continue to heal him uh, patch together everything that needs to be patched neurologically and muscularly. And we pray, God, as he rebuilds his muscles and, and the connection, uh, that you would bring it all back uh, in your design and continue to encourage the family. And now, Father, we pray for ourselves that you would speak to us, give us ears to hear what you would say 
to both the church collectively and us individually. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to turn, if you have a Bible, to Psalm 103. If you're visiting and you didn't bring it, you probably have an app, and it's okay in this church to look in your phone while I'm preaching, because I know you're not texting anyone. You're actually looking at the Bible. I'm not that guy that, you know, just like, you know. uh, You're here. You're already doing the best you can do, right? Um, The pulpit should never scold you. I mean, you're the ones that came. And, uh, and so the, the verses are going to be on the screen for you as well. But I chose Psalm 103 because I think it lays a foundation for all that we're going to study this summer. We're going to be in the Psalms, and we're pivoting around becoming David's. I admire David. David was a man after God's own heart, but he was a man who was flawed. He was a man who made mistakes but he was a man who took risks for God at the same time. And so he was a man after God's own. He knew how to repent. He knew how to lead. He was a businessman. He was a political leader. He was a king. He was a military leader. And he was a shepherd. And all of those things together have painted a collage of of what I would like to be like. I would like those things to be patched together in my life. And one of the ways we see David is by reading what he wrote. We can read his history in in 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel, but we we can hear David's heart in the Psalms. He wrote over one third of all the Psalms. And so we'll be picking key Psalms for you to study with us. And, and this week and to be continued uh, is Psalm 103. And what you'll see in Psalm 103 this week and next week are four things. I want you to understand these things. One is heart talk. This is going to sound strange. I'll explain it in a moment. Learning to talk to ourselves. There's a reason for it. Secondly, learning that our praise is built around what God does, the actions of God. We don't often think about what God does. To be continued is who God is. That will come next week. But for today, what God does and building our praise around this. Now, if you ask to me, Mark, why is this important to me? I mean, let's say you just came into church and you just like, oh boy, we're going to hear a sermon about praising God. Why is that? Why not tell me about how to balance my checkbook? Why not tell me about how to communicate with my wife? Well, we teach all of those things in other segments and workshops and everything, But what I'm going to argue is this is key and center to who you are. That's why it's so important that you cannot be you without learning a life of praise. That we are tempted to be a false me or tempted to be an apathetic me or a sinful me or a confused me without learning to live a life that's aligned and centered on God, and therefore a life of praise. I was reading an article this last week, and uh, the journalist was arguing that we have a new majority religion in America. He called it apathyism. And in all of his interviews, he said it's made up 
of evangelical Christians. It's made up of nominal Christians. It's made up of Jews. It's made up of some nominal Muslims. And surprise, it's made up of agnostics and atheists who all collectively, regarding anything in life, the answer is, whatever. I'm having a good time, and I don't want to ruffle the feathers, and I don't want to disturb or rock the boat. So I'm just kind of go, go through life with my own private religion or beliefs, and I'm just not going to rock the boat. And you and I, when we meet Jesus Christ, he rocks our boat. Do you know? He's going to rock your boat. He rocks my boat. And what he does is he aligns me with him. Ours is not a humanistic religion that says, God, come into my boat. I'll take a little of this, I'll take a little of that, a little of this, and then the rest, no thank you. God doesn't align himself with me. I am tethered to him. And what keeps me tethered to him is a life of praise. So we're going to begin with heart talk. And heart talk is simply reminding ourselves about the goodness of God. We are all a little demented, <laughs> and we need to remind ourselves of the goodness of God. So it's a little crazy. We see David talking to himself. Now, if you see someone talking to themselves on the street, we make certain conclusions, right? Okay, they're, they're pretty upset with themselves, whatever's going on right there. But privately, there is an art to having this inward dialogue. And it's kind of strange if you've never thought about it because it's like you're the actor on the stage talking and you're the audience listening to yourself at the same time. So David says, praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul. And forget not all his benefits. Now, I could create a porterhouse steak out of these ver verses right here, just one and two. So the command to his soul here is to praise the Lord. The soul here. Is, is an interesting thing because you're, you're wondering, well, who's talking? If David is talking to his soul, who is that talking? You following me? You're just staring at me. It's just like, <laughs> who's talking? Because most of us think of our soul as the core me. So let me begin by talking about this word soul, this word nephesh, because there's a bit of confusion uh, about the soul. Because we have two different cultures converged into scripture. One is the Hebrew culture, and one is the Greek Western culture in the New Testament. In the Hebrew culture, your soul is the collective immaterial you that's made up of your memory, it's made up of your feelings, it's made up of your thinking, it's made up of... Uh, your, I've said memory, bad experiences, good experiences. It, it's made up of your imagination. All the, what we would normally put under the mind or uh, something like that 
is in, in the Old Testament is called the you, the, it's the soul. It's all of those parts of you. But uniquely, the Old Testament also speaks of the heart. And the heart in the Old Testament, not all the time, but normally, is the core ultimate you. When you decide, you wake up in the morning and you just say, enough! I am going on a diet. (laughs) That is the heart. That is not the soul. Because the soul is probably already saying, more Jamocha almond fudge. (laughs) Me likes, me do. So it's that weather vane, ultimate you inside of you, that one day said, I am accepting Christ as my Lord and Savior. Contrary to culture, contrary to my family, contrary to everything, I'm stepping out and I'm making that decision. You with me? So I believe this is David's heart talking to his soul. It's time to praise the Lord. Now, in Greek culture, and we are the recipients of Greek culture, there was a different uh, terminology where the soul was often talked about as the core you, and we, we put everything under the heart as feelings. I just love you in my heart. Well, I just think in my heart I'd rather have lasagna over enchilada. And, you know, and, and just because it's your feelings. So we've, we're kind of confused when we hear about the soul, but I'm just kind of correcting you so we can go on. Who's talking to whom? Is that good English? I think it is. Uh, who's on first? What's on second? All of that. Why, he says, praise the Lord, O my soul. So... What this tells me is, regardless of experience out there, regardless of whether it's still June gloom or not, I can decide, right, to praise the Lord. I was telling a couple that's visiting or actually has moved here from the Midwest uh, that um, they, I said, have you already heard Californians talk about June gloom? And they said, oh, yeah, and May, and, and May Gray. And I said, I know. We just do it every year, and we, every year it happens, and we talk about it like it's never happened before, because <laughs> we don't know what to talk about, and so we see each other and say, oh, can't believe that June gloom and everything. It's like, have you not lived here for 60 years? Do you not know that as long as I can remember, it has done this, but it's what we talk about, you know, and they said, yeah, we do that in the Midwest, too, with the, with the humidity and the heat and all. So whether politics are good, stock up goes up or down, anything. I can decide I'm not a victim. Why am I a victim of economy and government and education and all this stuff happening in the weather that I can decide? Because if I can't decide to step outside of that and praise God, then it kind of tells us that God is under the June gloom too. 
as soon as God gets out of the June gloom, then I can praise him. But God is transcendent beyond all this and hasn't changed. So the encouragement is to praise the Lord regardless of this. I want to give you some other passages that use this kind of language because I'm double daring you to do it. Actually, did you know that behavioral and cognitive uh, behavior, behavioral science and cognitive behavior will tell us that the people who practice this art of self-talk are healthier? Did you know? Those of you who are struggling with your memory, it's documented, proven, it'll prove your recall. Start talking. Those of you that are on crowded elevators, it's documented that it'll give you more room in the elevator. (laughs) Psalm 27, 8. My heart says of you, seek his face. Look at that. And then the response from the soul is, Your face, Yahweh, Lord, will I seek. So the soul takes its lead from the heart and says, all right, let's do this thing. Psalm 42, verse 5 says, why are you, why my soul? Are you downcast? This is not God talking. This is David's heart talking. Why so disturbed within me? And in my paraphrase, there should be a little, come on, little buddy, right here. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So he's going through a deep, dark chasm right here. This is, we would call it discouragement, burnout, depression. We would say this is probably at least reactionary depression he's going through. And David talks to his soul and says, why are you downcast, little buddy? Why so discouraged? I used to love it when my mom would do that to me, you know? I was four years old, and she'd come to me and say, come on, Mark, I know they beat you up, but get out there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was so comforting. And... uh, (laughs) But to be able to do that to ourselves and just say, you know, I've done it. You know, I'm intimidated by the waves. They're too big or the the lineup is too crowded and I just do a little self-talk. Nobody knows it. But I I just do a little, come on, Foreman, get in the game. Come on. That next wave is yours. And you've done that probably out golfing. You know, it probably started with, idiot. (laughs) And you you do a little self-talk. Well, why not with all of life, where we're bringing ourselves back into alignment? Paul does this, and he hints of it when he commands his readers in the New Testament to take control of their thinking, because I'm telling you, between my two ears, that's where all the problems of the world are, is my stinking thinking. So he says in Colossians 3, 2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, 
admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, think of that. Is Paul saying that I can control where my thoughts go? Absolutely. You are not a victim to your thinking. Because otherwise, it's just like, well, I can't help myself, you know. I just, I'm whatever it is. Paul is saying that your heart can decide to pull and rein in the thoughts which are really part of your soul, your mind, and decide to think a different way. Now, how does he tell us to think? He tells us back in Psalm 103 to praise his holy name. It sounds very religious, but what he's really saying is reach out and remind yourself as to who God is. And that's what the rest of the psalm is now going to do. It's going to tell us about the behavior, the actions of God. It's going to tell us about the nature and the character of God and the compassion that God has for you. So that's under the umbrella, who God is, his name. And then he's going to tell us, he tells us here, forget not all of his benefits. And then he's going to list all of the benefits. Now, here's why this psalm is so important to me, because I think all of us have either dementia or amnesia when it comes to the goodness of God. Think of it. What has God done for you? And if your answer is, well, nothing lately, back off for a moment, because usually what that means is what I wanted didn't happen. What I wanted didn't happen. But what has God done for you lately? I don't know what he's done for you, but let me tell you what he did for me today. Number one, I woke up. I thought, oh my gosh, I am awake. You know, that is not an American right. You know, we, we have this increasing, I have a right to, 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 I have a right, to, right, right. You have no right to wake up tomorrow. It's not in the Constitution and it's not written anywhere, it's a gift. And even if you told me, I don't even believe in God, but somehow I got here, I, you know, I was just like, it, it, it is a gift of nature to you. And the rest of us would argue that the creator of nature has put it into creation that you, so you may not wake up tomorrow, but if you do, awesome. Secondly, do you have any friends today that you had yesterday? Do you have spouses today that you had yesterday? Not guaranteed, not written in the Constitution. So I'm two for two already. My beloved of 46 years was still there this morning. And it just goes from there. That The birds were singing. Think of it, our planet fills this space, this, this unused volume, with birds. Kind of cool. And they make noise. They sing, and I know they're singing territorial songs and evolutionary model is, is, is carrying us, but 
in my mind, they're, they're doing what God created them to do, which is to sing, which is so cool. And you could lay it out for all the different parts of creation and nature. Uh, we were watching a special on the Galapagos Islands last night, kind of a bucket list, someday I want to get there, and, uh, and, and all these unusual life forms. But it seems like around the planet, every species knows what they're called to do. Even the Galapagos tortoise knows that he's called to live 100 years. <laughs> and, and I'm called to go down there. It's going to take me all day to get there. <laughs> but that's what I'm going to do. Everybody knows what they're called to do, but brilliant human beings. Brilliant human beings don't know or have forgotten that we were made to praise God. That it's our destiny. It's what, it's what aligns our soul. It's when we're the best of who we are. That I'm the best me when I'm praising God and aligned with who God is. That's what I was made for. Birds sing. This is what I do. So he says, forget not all of his benefits. Now, for those of you that are kind of detailed geeks, uh, I just want to point out to you that the language here is different. Normally, when the Old Testament says, praise the Lord, the Hebrew word is hallelujah. The word for praise is hallel, hallelujah. And the word for the Lord's name, Yahweh, is Yah here. So hallelujah means praise the Lord. And so you realize, oh my gosh, I speak Hebrew. <laughs> hallelujah. But that's not the language he uses here. He uses the word bless. And I, I think it's because he's commanding his soul. When we bless one another, uh, we are giving some kind of goodness to each other via God. Well, we can't do that with God. God already have, has it all. But nevertheless, when we bless him, we are aligning our souls with him and saying, yeah, Let's do this thing one more time. And that's the word that he uses here. And soul is thrown towards the front of the, the sentence. So it's, bless, soul, Yahweh, the Lord. And then he says it again. So God is, is calling you and I to live this kind of life. Now, some of you may just decide, you know what? I'm going to incorporate this in my prayer life. I'm going to just every morning get up and start thanking God for 10 things, and I'm going to praise him for it. What, some of you are going to read a psalm every day. You're going to pull into your lifestyle a habit, and then others of us are going to add to that maybe a little self-talk during the day. Come on, foreman, get in the game. You can praise God. You're at work. You're not liking it. Come on. Let's do this thing. A uh, little bit of self-talk. And then others of us are going to just incorporate under our breath praise. Uh, praise you, Lord. This is, that's cool. Mm. That came in on time. Thank you, Lord. And just this little ongoing dialogue. And then others of you are going to just roll up your window on the freeway and blare worship music and just say, you know what? We are doing worship right now. But I think... 
if you looked at a teeter-totter of where we are, we are way over here in not praising. And I have been struck, especially in Nepal, my Nepali friends, and some of you know them, particularly Sarita. I mean, she is a walking praise machine, where, and, and miracles happen for her. There is power in praise. Because it's invoking, the Bible says, the presence of God. So think about how you might incorporate this into your life because it's finally that moment where you're getting honest with God and yourself and the world. I'm not God, there is a God, it is not me. He made this world, it's broken, it's flawed because of sin. Nevertheless, God is amazing and God, one more day behind enemy lines, I and working my walkie-talkie to connect to you and praise you. God doesn't need your praise. Let's be clear about this. He is not asking for praise out of need. He doesn't respond to your praise like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I was worried, but you reminded me that I really am wonderful. So he's not an egoist or a needy person. It's just truth. We were watching a Padres game the other night, and uh, we were tied, and I knew we were going to win. And uh, it was a good game. I just turned it on, eighth inning. It was just awesome. I said, okay, I need to get to church Saturday night, but I think i got a few minutes. I can hold off till we win this game. And it started going south. It was a different kind of truth. And I said, you know, I can't bear to watch the, the ending. <laughs> you know, it's five to two now, and I need to go to church. I turned it off. Truth varies in this world. It's this, it's good, it's bad. With God, it doesn't change. And when, when you align yourself with a person who doesn't change, it creates a stalwart, unchanging aspect of who you are that becomes a rock through the difficult, difficult times. So do you think that you can learn this self-talk? Do you think you can learn to encourage your soul? I think you can. I think you can. By the way, Mark, I want to tell you that I think that was an amazing point about... Well, thank you, Mark. I appreciate that affirmation, and I'm going to do it more often. All right, let's move on. Action. Action. What God does. Now, if you're an employer, it's all about action. You see resumes, people... There's never a person that comes in for an interview and says, well, I just want you to know I come in late normally. <laughs> and I cheat when it comes to my hour keeping. Uh, but I think I'm a really nice guy. We don't hire nice guys. We, we, it's all about action, what you do. And God has an amazing track record when it comes to action. So David says, I'm going to count my blessings when it comes to action. And he lists here a series of verbs. And this is why I've demarcated this section of Psalm 103 from the rest. Because in this section, he only uses the verbs that describe God. 
Number one, he forgives all your sins. And you're going to notice that none of these are halfway. It's all or nothing. He forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. He redeems, who redeems your life from the pit. So he doesn't just redeem your life from some little piddly things, but from the worst possible thing, the pit. He crowns you. This is giving you regal status of a queen or a king with compassion, the ultimate characteristics that would be godlike of love and compassion. He satisfies you, your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed, not just a little bit, but like the eagles. And Yahweh, the Lord, works righteousness and justice, not for a few oppressed or your pet justice cause, but for all the oppressed. So this is an amazing God, right? Worthy of our praise. You with me so far? So let's just unpack these one by one. He forgives you all. Did I say all? Yes, I think you did. All of your sin. What is all your sin? I think, yeah, in the Hebrew, what does all mean? Right. All? I mean, don't I have to do something? Do I have to give more in the offering? What, what, what do I have to do to get this all? Let me remind you what all is. All is all, I don't know what these are, because this isn't my church background, but it is probably one-third of your church background. All your venial sins. All your venial sins, which means... I didn't mean to do it, but I didn't know I was doing it, but it somehow happened, I did it, but I didn't know I did it, and everything. That's a venial sin, you know? He he's forgives it all. But the question is, does he forgive your mortal sins? It's, it, it's a big deal. I mean, even that word, mortal, whoa, that is a big word. The sins where you knew you shouldn't do it, you self-talked and said, don't do it, Mark. And you did it. Does he forgive that when you repent? Not, I'm not talking about like, well, kind of forgive me, but I'm going to do it again even if I want. You know, I'm not, you ultimately have to repent. But the question is, does he forgive you? And the Bible would say yes. So unintentional and intentional sins. Commission, the sins you commit, how about the sins you omit? That is what you should have, could have done, but you didn't do it. There was, there was a needy, handicapped person crossing the street. It's very dangerous. You're so caught up with yourself, you didn't even see them. And so you didn't help them. That's a sin of omission. You could have, but you didn't. You could have given, but you didn't. I just was too dumb, too blind. And the Bible says, he forgives that. And that's a huge category. We don't even know how big that is. He forgives all the sins against God, all the sins against other people, 
and all the sins against yourself. And let me remind you, anytime you sin against God and other people, you are sinning against the best you, yourself. You're violating yourself. He forgives not only your actions, but he forgives your attitude. My mom used to say, attitude. (laughs) And we think, well, attitude's not a sin. It's just kind of a private little thing inside. You know, he forgives even that. Wow. You know, if I was sitting where you are, I would just say, man, that was worth the price of the offering right there to just find out that I'm forgiven. There's just been a couple of times in in our lives where Jan and I have been out for dinner and someone was apparently there at the restaurant that knew us and they paid for our meal anonymously. So when I asked for the check, the waiter comes over and says, it's taken care of. And I'm just like, what do you mean? And they said, no, you're good to go. And I said, I, because I probably will be at this restaurant again, I say, did they give you a good tip? Because <laughs> if they didn't, I need to leave a good tip. And they said, no, it was great. You're good to go. Do you know what that feeling is like? It's a really good feeling. <laughs> How about you decide to go buy your new car? And you go through all the, what color, and what this, 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 and they say, okay, you realize this is going to cost you, you know, in my range, it's a 30000 maybe for some of you, it's a sixty, eighty, and upwards, and, and someone says, it's covered. Whoa, I don't know what that feeling is like, but I bet it, that is a really good feeling. How about a townhouse? I bet that's a really good feeling. How about all of your debt to God called sin forever? That is an amazing, amazing feeling. So he forgives it all, and he heals all your diseases. Now, I don't have the time to go into all of this. If, if I did have the time, I'd like to teach on this for 18 sessions But the whole subject of healing fascinates people. And oftentimes, I have heard people put God in the defendant's chair because uh, where were you on the night that I needed healing and you didn't heal me and so forth and so on. David is not breaking down here the nuances of when you'll be healed and the timing of how you'll be healed and whether he's going to use medicine or whether he's going to do it supernaturally and all of this. The question is, who is God? That's the question. And what does he do? And David is saying he doesn't fly around afflicting people. How do you praise a God that's uh, aberrant like that? That I don't know if he got out of the right side or the good side of bed. Uh, Capricious. How do you, it's like, I think I praise you. Don't smite me. God is a God who heals. So God has your best in mind. 
Now, what I tell people is, listen, I'm going to pray for healing. You came forward. You asked for healing. I'm praying for healing because this is who God is. And we have evidence of that through Jesus in the New Testament. Now, what I don't know is, he's, is he going to heal you in heaven? You're going to receive your new body. We all will receive our new bodies in heaven. I'm guessing you're going to look like you're 24, amazing. <laughs> Completely healthy for eternity. And that's what God has in mind. I don't know if he's going to gradually heal you. I don't know if it's going to be through medicine or if it's going to be through vitamins or through supernatural. I, I, that's not, it's above my pay grade. I'm just me. So I was taught to pray for people who are sick by Jesus, and I serve a God who heals all my diseases, right? And we're not having the discussion of, well, what about, the, what about, and what about, because I, the people who pray for me that are all consumed with the what about usually don't have my best interest in mind. They say, say to me, well, Mark, we're going to pray for you. Now, what we don't know is whether God's going to heal you or whether he wants to heal you because we don't know who he is and we don't know what he wants to do in terms of timing this and we don't know whether it's... But nevertheless, I guess we ought to give it a try. That's just like, woo, okay. Can you imagine going to the doctor that way? Well, here's a little jar. We have no idea what it does. But I'd like you to take three times a day. So... Let's just decide who, what does he have ultimately in mind for you? I'm the first to tell you that I'm not healed of aging. Maybe some of you are. I'm not. I'm still aging. I'm not healed of only being 5'7". <laughs> still 5'7", probably won't be for another 10, in 10 years, you know? There, you know, there's certain things that just, but it doesn't change who God, what's God's plan? What's the ultimate plan? What does this building ultimately look like by the architect? And the ultimate building, you, is done, healed, restored. That's what he has in mind. Is that good news? Yeah. So he, forgiveness, healing, and redemption redeemed not just from the little things, but from the pit. What is the pit? Doesn't sound too good. The word, I think it's shakan, it, 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 it has its origin with pits that they would dig to catch lions. Israel had African lions back in David's day. No bueno. And, uh, you know, just say, I'm just going for a walk in the neighborhood. And so they tried to eradicate the land from lions, and they dug these pits. And so that became a word used to describe, eventually, our destiny. The word in the New Testament is Gehenna, where they, where they burn trash. The valley, the smelly place where they burn trash, where we, who, those who are rebelling against God go. It's the not God place. All the things that make up the goodness, the beauty, the truth, the light, the things, love that we think of God having and emanating doesn't have that. 
in the pit. And he, through Jesus Christ, redeemed you from the pit. We don't know in David's day how he's going to do this, but we know now, post-New Testament, it was through Jesus on the cross. He crowns you with love and compassion. Don't you love the idea of wearing a crown? It's kind of a cool idea. You know, and people come into you and say, well, so what does your kingdom represent? What does it look like when you make a decree? Well, David says it's full of love and compassion. The word for love is chesed, uh, which is probably the second most important word in the Old Testament, the first word being Yahweh. But this word means covenant love, committed love, Faithful love, untiring love, love you can't fall out of love with. You know how we say in our culture, fell out of love. I used to love you, but I don't love you anymore. I fell out of love. God will never fall out of love with you. Aren't you glad? And he crowns you with that kind of love to not fall out of love, but to actually be consistent in my love and to love with compassion. He satisfies the desires, your desires for good things. This is key because in Greek culture, there was the idea that spiritual was good and physical was bad. Got that? Spiritual good, physical bad, and that bled into the church. So in the church for the first 1,500 years, there was this ascetic idea that if, if you love good things, then there was something bad about you. You need to go hang out with a monk. You need to just go on some kind of fast and realize that food is bad, that people are bad, that everything is, and don't like anything. And that's been a part of the church. It's a bad history. Hebrew thinking is not that way. Laheim, it's to celebrate life. Uh, so you like Jamoka almond fudge. So enjoy it. Unless you're on a diet, then hold off. And then when you get off your diet, then enjoy it. I mean, there's nothing spiritual. Like, what is this? Or I just love to be, I love golf. Oh, I shouldn't love golf. I just I love golf too much. Bad, Christian. Bad, bad, bad. You know, take God with you onto the course. Make it a moment of fellowship, of praise. And so David recognizes that each of us has a set of desires. Yeah, if they're inordinate or obsessive or addictive, then they've gone too far. But in the rightful place... God wants to be the source of satisfying those desires. And two more things. He renews your youth like the eagle. Our senior citizens ministry is going to love this. He doesn't just give you like a good day. He renews you like the eagle who soars. Yeah. I keep saying that we should rename our senior ministry and call it not done. I mean, everybody has this idea, out to pasture. 
No breath, any, any energy left. What they like to do is get on buses and go to museums. Well, that's not me. I'm an ain't done guy. And why not? He renews our youth like the eagle. And finally, he works righteousness and justice. Not just for trafficked human beings. Not just for racial discrimination. Not just for sexual discrimination. All the things we'd like to cherry pick and say, well, I'm just all about that. And I'm just all about... He cares about all the oppressed, even the, the, the little kid who's bullied on a playground, which is oppression. He cares about... Is that, he's, he is your defender. So we're going to wrap it up here. You can see why I needed to land the plane. Uh, we have a long ways to go. So folks, we are heading into some territory I've never been before. Anyone ever been to 2020 before? I've never been there. I really don't know what it holds. Is it more just amazing uh, prosperity? Or is it war? Is it catastrophe? Is it, uh, what is it? I don't know. But I know what I can do. I can't control that, but I know what I can do is control me. And in 2020, I'll be a person who's praising God. That's who I'm going to be. And I'm inviting you to do the same because it will change your life. When I was a brand new Christian, I read a book by a man, you may know the name, and this, sorry, don't say yes, because it's going to reveal how old you are. So just kind of play it cool. Never heard of him. Uh, the man's name was Merlin Crothers, and he wrote a book called Prison to Praise, and it changed my 18 or 19-year-old life, because he said, you know, you can live a life where you're imprisoned by this event and those people, and I could have been amazing if it wasn't for who won the election. I was an amazing person, but except for those where I live this victim life, I can step out of the prison by praising God and deciding who I am through him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, Mark, I thought that was an amazing... <laughs> message. Well, I hope you take it to heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can laugh, we can actually make fun of ourselves, but we can learn what we need to know. And God, we pray that above all things, you would make us people of praise who give you your due because you are God. And when we do, it changes us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.